time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. It's hard to believe, but we are already at May 23rd. It's Monday. We're so glad to have you joining us. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. We're so grateful to have you as a listener and joining in with us. Again, our commitment to you is bringing you timely information in an audio format you can listen to anytime and anywhere. I'm really excited about today's Hot Topic segment. For those of you listening in the first half of the podcast, be sure to stay tuned as we have Andrea Lightfoot and Celine Kellum joining us from Thrive Mortgage. Andrea is Simple Nexus. And I got to tell you, we pre-recorded this conversation last week. And after I pre-recorded it, I just went in the house, told my wife, I said, I enjoy podcasting so much. When you could get to pre-record an interview like we did that you're going to be hearing in the Hot Topic segment, you'll understand why. It was just dynamic, so much information. And yet it was just such a fun group. These two ladies are just amazing. So you're going to enjoy this interview. So stay tuned to the Hot Topic segment. We're thrilled to be a part of the Industry Syndicate. Check out all the podcasts at industrysyndicate.com. Also, we're thrilled to have the Mortgage Bankers Association of America as a sponsor, as well as Finastrip with their Fusion Mortgage Bot POS. It personalizes the application path based on borrower-specific information, loan type, and much more. Check out our interview we did with Troy Anderson on April 18th. Also thrilled to have two of the top co-ops as sponsors, Lenders One, as well as the Mortgage Collaborative. They do a great job of helping lenders and vendors connect with each other in a meaningful way, providing more content of what's going on in each of their operations. Imagine getting together with someone and you want to know what's the competition doing? How are they going about this? So it's a sharing of best practices, so many things about these two co-ops. I encourage you to get to know. Also, Total Expert, it turns the customer insights into actions that increase loyalty and drive growth for banks, lenders, credit unions, and independent financial institutions, IMBs. I'm going to be speaking at the Accelerate 22 conference in Nashville. Josh Lear and I are going to be sharing and a breakout session, how to recruit and attract the top talent in. So we had Josh on the podcast back uh few weeks ago, but a lot of the comments that came in from that podcast were integrating into that session. So check out Accelerate 22. It's June 12th through the 15th. You do not have to be a user of the the system to be able to register. If you use Lickin' on Lending and say, hey, heard about it in Lickin' on Lending. We want to be at that conference. Can we go? So get a hold of them. Go to the link. We'll put a link in our show notes. Also, Knowledge Coop. Check out their learning management system, as well as Mobility MMI and Modex. They do a great job at helping you recruit top LOs, as well as SnapDocs. It's working backwards from the future, where every closing is flawless and just provides an amazing customer experience. So check out SnapDocs, as well as SuccessKit. They do a great job with prospects, stories, results, case studies, etc., etc. They tell your story really well, is what I'm trying to say, as well as Lender Toolkit. Form free, please, to have both of these companies as sponsors, as well as Simple Nexus. They do an awesome job. And some of the things that the leadership that they're bringing to the industry, again, is really excellent. Of course, we have today on the podcast, Andrea Lightfoot, which I'm really excited to have 
with us from Simple Nexus. Then also DW Consulting, which works with you on your LinkedIn profile. So good to have you all here with us. Again, thank you to Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, Matt, and Jack for their contributions each and every week. But let's talk a little bit about some of what's going on in the markets and the MBA. We've got the MBA Mortgage Minute today with Adam DeSantis. So without further ado, here's the MBA Mortgage Minute. Hi, I'm Adam DeSantis. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute, the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, the Biden administration published an action plan with recommendations it believes will help close the housing supply gap over the next five years. The recommendations address land use and zoning, new financing for housing production, improvements to existing financing, preservation of single-family homes, and high material costs and low labor supply. The persistent low supply of available housing throughout the country has led to rapid levels of home price appreciation and intense competition among potential home buyers, which is further adding to the challenges faced by first-time and low- to moderate-income home buyers. MBA and other industry stakeholders will be reviewing the action plan and identifying ways in which further collaboration between industry and government stakeholders can encourage meaningful housing construction, preservation, and rehabilitation. Now that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, MBA, for all that you're doing to help our industry. Very grateful for that. But let's get over to Les Parker with the TM Spotlight and this week's macro view of the markets. Les? TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Money, money, money. Must be funny. In central bank world. Despite the effort of large central banks to dethrone the U.S. dollar, it remains king of the hill. It is the currency for most financial transactions. But when it falters, watch out. Look for hints from gold with higher prices. Devaluing the dollar makes the poor poorer and the rich richer. Expect central banks to continue to fail in their efforts. But Janet Yellen and central bankers still dream about it. All the things they can do. It's dollars, little money. It's a rich man's world. These is my own. Learn the rich bank's world at tmspotlight.com. It's a rich man's world. Boy, that's the truth, man. Good report. I want to make sure you sign up for Les's newsletter. The TM Spotlight can be subscribed to for, for free in the sign-up area. Put in the word power or power seller, and you'll get a paid version for free. Very good. Les, thank you. Appreciate that. Gary Kentrabone, Les Parker. We're going to get another good report. Matt's here with us, founder CEO of MBS Live, saying I love this service and the system because of the live up to the nanosecond updates on the screen where you're carrying your pocket on your iPad, on your computer screen, wherever you're at. Matt, you do such a great job. Good to have you, friend. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you, David. Well, you got some improvement here, although it looks like it's deteriorating a little bit. So in general, the last two weeks have been really good, and there are caveats for that. In fact, the last two weeks have been the best two weeks for bonds in general since the start of the pandemic. The cost for that was twofold. Number one was the fact that it required us hitting 10-year yields of 3.2 back on May 9th, really setting sort of a high bar and creating some momentum coming back in the other direction after being arguably oversold, depending on whom you ask. Other caveat is the fact that it required a fairly substantial sell-off in the stock market. And there's really no telling how big the rally would have been if not for that. I think we can probably say that any weakness in the stock market or any impulse to rally in the bond market, it's a little bit of extra emphasis if we have just hit super duper high yields or the highest yields in a long time. 
But that was also the case on the last two bounces, and we didn't have anything as substantial as what we've seen over the past two weeks. More conversation from Fed speakers that are talking in a more moderate tone. They're definitely not saying risks are going away, but we've heard more of this sort of talk about, yeah, we're just going to do a couple more 50 bit rate hikes and maybe a 25 or two and then sort of reassess. There was also some reminders I think we talked about last week, but they continue to happen throughout the week after that. The Fed leveling off its balance sheet normalization efforts after a while and just reminding the listeners at home that they weren't going to continue letting their balance sheet shrink until it got to zero. There is end game there that is above $1 trillion, maybe as high as $2 trillion, depending on how things go. As far as last week's specifics, retail sales hurt the bond market early in the week. That was on Tuesday. The headline came out as expected, 0.9 versus 0.9, but the previous month was revised up from 0.5 to 1.4. And then the control reading, which strips out some of the more volatile components, was also higher than expected. Bonds sold off a little bit in reaction to that, but then the rest of the week was fairly strong and mostly due to the stock market. Stocks really took over on Wednesday morning. That was their big day of selling. And we even got a little bit of help from data on Thursday with the Philly Fed index coming out. That's one of these regional Fed business surveys capture sentiment. And it is seen as a fairly decent cross-section of the broader economy. Here's the most interesting statistic from that. The six-month outlook in that survey, which is a component of it, was the lowest since 2008. And those are always the type of headlines or news wires that grab attention because we all remember 2008 and that wasn't really that great of a time. There was an anemic bounce in stocks on Thursday, but then more selling on Friday and the bond market largely followed that selling. But here was the first sign of a, a little bit of weakness in the bond market or perhaps a little bit of caution or hesitation in the bond market's desire to move toward lower yields. When stocks moved lower on Friday, they made new lows versus the previous trading session, fairly significant new lows at that. Bonds, however, bond yields did not. They continued to mine the same floor that they had in the previous session, which was around 2.78, if you ask 10-year yields. And so when we're seeing stocks and bonds follow each other in this sort of highly correlated pattern, and then there's a divergence like this, where one of them is adhering to a floor while the other is making lower floors, then we would read a little bit of hesitation into the one that is holding that same flat floor. In this case, that would be bonds. Now today, it's hard to say if bonds would still be holding that floor if stocks were falling again, but stocks are not falling, they're rallying up over 1.5% right now in S&P futures and bonds are following that move, moving back up toward higher yields, reinforcing a floor around 2.83 in 10-year treasury yields. That's the floor that I'm watching right now, one of several. A great one to start the week here. Coming up in the rest of the week, we have durable goods on Wednesday, normally a big report, but not over the past few years. GDP on Thursday, this is just a revision to the initial reading, so not as much of a market mover there. The big one would be PCE, personal consumption expenditures, on Friday, and that is one of our two main inflation indices. And as a constant reminder, it is all about inflation, obviously. And this kind of also goes back to last week's hesitation to break below the floor in bond yields and our conversation that we had on the podcast on Monday talking about the fact that it is going to take time for inflation data to come in 
and support the notion that inflation is indeed leveling off and turning around. And we also have a lot of ongoing uncertainty about the fallout from commodity price spikes after the Ukraine war began. And just in the past 20 minutes, Atlanta Fed's Bostic said something similar, that the effect of the Ukraine war has not been felt yet, and that upward price pressure for industrial inputs is still to come, and that it is also a big additional source of uncertainty for the Fed. Really Mm. echoes what we said last week, and the fact that we need to not really count chickens before they've hatched in terms of inflation turning around. So these inflation reports are increasingly important, and it's going to be, wouldn't say impossible, but as close to impossible as you can say when it comes to the future of market movement for bonds to make really big, juicy gains without getting to see how these inflation reports are coming in over the next month, two or three. But um, still, 2.85 and 10-year yields a lot better than 3.2 where we were. We have some sideways momentum now as opposed to relentless, disappointing upward momentum. So I'll take it. It's a shift in the right direction, even if it's not a glorious shift back towards substantially lower rates. That's all I got for this week, Dave. A lot in that report. Wow. You start looking at things in the broader picture, you go like, man, lots of unsettled things. Where are gold prices right now? As you've alluded to in the past. I know Parker talked about that in his update. Where are gold prices right now compared on the spectrum? I don't even you know. Don't. I could tell you it looks like 1847, mm. 1848. Yeah, I sold my gold at the wrong price. All right. Surprise, surprise. Jack, what did you about all this? Yeah, gold's off of its highs from earlier in the year, but it's trading up today. But it peaked around 2000 earlier in 2022. So if you sold your gold, always good to take profit off the table, David. We took some. Looking back to last week, the National Association of Home Builder Housing Market Index levels dropped eight points from 77 in April to 69 in May. And that in of itself isn't uh, big news since the rising interest rates have put a bit of a damper on the purchase market. But I thought what was interesting, David, that housing market index gets broken down geographically into four sub-indexes, the Northeast, the Midwest, the South, and the West. And so keep in mind, the overall index level fell eight points. In the West, it fell 11 points. In the Midwest and in the South, it it only fell six points. But interestingly enough, in the Northeast, David, it was actually up two points. Really? I thought that was kind of interesting. National Association Home Builder Housing Market Index down by by regions, we actually saw a pop-up in the Northeast. So also in that index, present sales fell the eight points. Future sales fell 10 points and traffic fell nine points. So there's certainly a softening in the home builder index sentiment with regards to both traffic, which helps drive future sales. So I take that with a grain of salt. It's a potential weakening in the purchase market as a result of interest rates moving up. So always nice to see the 10-year bond rallying today. Yeah, it's encouraging stuff. Would you agree? I'd love to get your thoughts, Matt, and uh, Jack as well, on the strength, the overall fundamentals are just so solid for a purchase market. Even while we're seeing interest rates rising, it may have slowed things down. I just don't see. Is there anything out there that we should be concerned about that affects the purchase market more than just a slight dropping back? Matt? Well, I'm not a housing economist, but as far as reasons to be concerned in any sort of 2008 sense, I certainly haven't seen anything like that. Definitely, it's regional, depending on the size of the home, too. And 
we have a lot of reports on MBS Live, and, and they've grown more varied now, right? It was universally, hey, multiple offers, over asking price, et cetera. Right. There's still a lot of that going on. The yep. places where it is going on, people have noted, instead of 30 offers that are over asking price, now we only have 10 to 15. And then <laughs> some other people have noted that they're seeing more yep. price drops than normal recently. But even after those price drops are occurring, that would still account for solid year-over-year home price growth. I think right. we all know and all agree that 20% a year isn't sustainable, and nor would we want it to be. Oh. I think that what's happening right now is a good thing in terms of prices moving to uh, a flatter growth trajectory. Whether or not they dip in certain cases, I don't have a strong opinion. I mean, they could, and they could do it in a way that's really not that threatening relative to past precedent, just due to the level of supply and demand out there. Personally, I keep an eye on the local real estate market here in the Northwest, and I have been shocked at how light the inventory situation has been throughout the spring home buying season and into the summer, unless you want stuff like these new vertical, small lot, new construction type homes. That's the majority of the new inventory that I'm seeing that's in my square footage range that I'm keeping an eye out for. And those homes, I'm eh, not a huge fan. So the stuff no. that is going to motivate some people to move just isn't hitting the market. No, uh, I agree. So that supply-demand situation, more than anything, it's the X factor, right? It has been since the start of the pandemic, and it continues to be. It's not like we have uh, an overabundance of supply. So No, I just see us continue to be overall fundamentally strong. Jack, last thoughts on this topic? Yeah, David. What concerns me in the purchase market is a theme that we talk about frequently on the podcast and that is affordability. With the year-over-year increases in housing valuation, so many people are being priced out of the market. I was reading an article about new home construction, and so much of the new home construction right now, because of the cost of materials and labor shortage and wages, is coming in at four, five, six dollars $600 a square foot. And when you just put that in context with a lot of the government inertia to address the affordability issue, there just seems to be such a disconnect. And so what's being built is costing so much more and existing sales because of the run-up in valuation. It just, it really concerns me that first-time home buyers, low-to-mod income buyers really just have so little to choose from with regards to housing inventory, which I agree with Matt, is already constrained. And then the pressure on that lower end housing just makes it very difficult for the LMI borrower to get into a home today. Yeah. Great report, Matt. Appreciate you as always. I encourage you to check out Matt's service. If you haven't already done so, you can get an extended free trial if you put in LOL in the sign-up code and no credit card is required. So I encourage you to check it out. Most of our listeners have signed up for the service. We continue to get great reports, Matt, the service you provide. Really thrilled with our partnership. And thanks for being here this week. Alice Alvey is not here today, as she just let us know. She said hello to everybody, but we do have Alan Pollock here, and Alan's here with our tech update. Alan? Well, happy Monday, everybody. David, thanks for mm. the fantastic introduction. Just listening to the comments and feedback, uh, especially what you just said, Jack, a moment ago, I've been for six months or more trying to buy a house in North Florida in an area that I'm in, which when I moved here in 2013 was half a million is now 1.5 million mm. and for homes in my area. And every house I bid on, I have been overbid. I have waived everything, appraisal, 
home inspection, a guaranteed 30-day close, and I still was the lowest of eight bids. And there are some drops in property values. There's still some construction going on, but I do know that construction materials, I think I may have been reading the same thing you were reading, Jack. Construction materials are definitely causing an effect, one of the many things causing an effect on prices. But there are some values dropping, but the only ones I see dropping are the ones in which they were overbidding. It's kind of like the the candy left at the candy store that the box was open and someone eventually still going to buy it because they just want some candy. And some of these homes need some work and the folks that had them just listed for whatever they wanted. So I think that's where we're seeing drops. But homes that are in great shape or went through recent remodels or in prime locations, they don't last 24 hours on the market. They're gone instantly still. So it's really an interesting landscape. And there's tons of information to read online. And technology does play a big part in it, by the way. And I do know that the agencies and other folks are lobbying against the agencies and the government about what do we do on the side of appraisals, right? And we've talked about that very briefly. So anyways, I'm definitely more on the engineering side, so I can't really say where the market's going to go. I'll leave that to the smarter guys. But David, let's talk about some really cool things. Some people do have money, and one of them is SiriusXM. They just Mm -hmm. paid $150 million for a Conan O'Brien podcast called Team Coco. And it's called Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. It was launched in 2018. Get this. He has 16 million monthly downloads. Now, so anyways, Conan O'Brien looks like life after TV has done well for him and his (laughs) podcast and the folks that are on it. Netflix miniseries called WeWork, right? Mm -hmm. The mortgage industry, are we back to work? Are we not back to work? I know the tech guys can be remote. Technology doesn't need to be in a physical office, though. The, the team camaraderie of engineers and QA leads and technical managers, right, the ability for them to meet every day and review, that is missing and that is difficult. But there's less of a need for these folks to be in an office. So the question is, is we work back, right? That Netflix miniseries, some of us have seen it, some of us have not. Co-work and we work is on the rise. Apparently, in quarter one of this year, WeWork jumped up 67%, which is just showing that I think, and it may not be WeWork that gets the revenue and and the volume, but I think companies are considering corporate centers and converting them into cost centers where you want to bring folks into the office. You're renting that space or you're adjusting it on your individual team's balance sheet um, or P&L, the time or the people that are using those offices. I've heard some rumors about things going that way, but I've also read a little bit online. So, I don't know where we are as a mortgage industry. I know that face-to-face meetings, I've been in a number of them this year, and they have all been so unbelievably productive. And everybody leaves those meetings saying, gosh, being face-to-face is so different than being virtual Mm -hmm. all the time. But maybe it's not for everybody anymore. So I just mentioned that, but clearly the WeWork theme is coming back. I was going to say, at the TMC Winter Conference, they did a really good political-style debate on this. I've talked about it before, and it was never go back to work, immediately go back to work, and a hybrid. And it was really interesting to hear the different points for each one of those. And that was a fascinating discussion. I think it's really going to come down to what the leadership wants and what people want. Interesting, us older folks who want to stay at home, the younger crowd, they want to get in. Socialization at work is a big part of it. And I think it's such an important thing for transfer of knowledge and training. I think it's huge. So the other thing, and David, I mean, think about this, right? Think about because so many companies started hiring people all over the country that geographically, it's harder to bring people to an office now. Some companies didn't allow for that based on certain job roles, but being able for the WeWork concept, right? Many companies have a lots of real estate now, 
to, to be able to turn them into white rooms for banking and yeah. mortgage, right? Yeah. And to be able to offer a certain kind of solution to friends of friends. So who knows? I'm, I'll be interested to see 12 months from now where we're at with getting back to work. Yeah, let's talk about some industry stuff. Uh, Fiserv, they have a product called brand new, their digital mortgage center. It's based on their mortgage director platform, which is their mortgage lending solution. If you remember from years back, they acquired PC Lender. That became mortgage director. And they just created this digital mortgage center, which basically it's their new digital point of sale platform, which is in partner or in collaboration, I should say, with Be Smarty. If you want to read more, you can check it out online, but it talks about how you can originate from anywhere, and they did it in partnership with BeSmarty. Sounds like whatever solutions they have, they're either still working on or they are going down a path of allowing their customers to work with many of the other platforms in the industry, which is probably a great move. Volley, David. Volley, we haven't talked about them in some time, so they just partner with Progressive Insurance, giving home buyers the ability to shop the home insurance process in the transaction, which if you remember TechCrunch, right? Ben Maddock, friend of ours from going way back. He was a TechCrunch winner many, many years ago for offering insurance during the process. And obviously some others have followed suit and it looks like Volley and Progressive just did a deal. So if you work with them, check it out. Moving on, David, let's talk about overcoming the challenges still facing digital closing. So this was a really good article in Housing Wire. You can check it out online. What they say is, hey, during the pandemic, we were forced to go down the wrong path, right? But RONs didn't take off as we expected it to at this point. And there are other solutions out there, but technology still hasn't completely caught up. And a year or two years out of the pandemic, wherever you put your line in the sand to start counting from, we should have been further than we are, right? And this article talks about is there's other options, hybrid options, but also called iPens, which is in-person electronic notarization, being able to sign on a tablet and having the notary digitally accept or digitally acknowledge that they were the notary on that transaction. So more is to come here. I, I think there's still a lot of folks doing a lot of great things here, but we're not there yet. And obviously it's still taking longer. With the way things are right now, we're still closing loans in the same amount of time, right? Some are doing it sooner, but I think if you were to average it all together, we probably are still way further out than we'd like to be. I did want to mention that Last week, we talked very briefly about mortgage fraud, and I just want to mention that I saw this online, which is kind of funny. This I think this one was in the Chrisman Report, or it was in Next Mortgage Events, their newsletter, but it says, overall, mortgage industry fraud has increased during the past one to three years, where consumer fraud accounting for about two-thirds of all lender and servicer fraud losses over the last 12 months. What that means? It means someone didn't break in and get in the middle of your mortgage transaction, it means that consumer fraud in general has affected the mortgage lending process. And that's everything that has to do with being tricked, right? Losing your information, having bad passwords and so forth. So during this time, as you have borrowers that are coming through your process and they're nervous, you could still have the best technology ever, but that's not going to stop mortgage fraud. Make sure you're out in front and you're sharing and helping your consumers and your members and such get through that process. And then, David, next week, what we're going to talk about and get back to some of the things that we should be focusing in 2022 are really, really important for the financial institutions that are listening to this podcast, open banking and how that's going to take off. We hear people talk about omni-channel lending, mm -hmm. single experience yep. lending. We're going to talk about that next week. Good. Look forward to it. Always look forward to your report. Good job. Appreciate it. Alan Pollock, if you want to give suggestions or feedback, email Alan at Alan, A-L-L-E-N, 
at tms-advisors.com. Good job. We appreciate all of our listeners, however they may be, more interested in the quality of the type of people we reach than the quantity. And we're reaching the right influencers. It's very good. We're pleased to have all of our sponsors be a part of that. Very excited about it, Alan. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. That is interesting. Conan. Hmm. Crazy, crazy. Well, that wraps up this week's weekly mortgage updates. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Lenders One, Mobility MMI, Modex, MBA, Knowledge Coop, The Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDoc, Success Kit, Lenders Toolkit, Total Expert, Form Free, Simple Nexus. Folks, it is such a joy to have them as sponsors, such a joy to have you as a listener. Some of you have contacted me saying that we're not seeing you updating the podcast. We have made some changes on who we're feeding out to. There's been some Pickups along the way. Apologize if you're not seeing it on your favorite feed. We're in the process of fixing that, and we're excited to have this on even more platforms where more people can listen to this. Next week, we're going to have John David Mann and his wife, Anna, on the podcast. I'm very excited about that interview. Again, it's Memorial Day, and we'll be looking forward to having you tune in and listen to this really amazing interview that I did with them. And we're going to be talking about the Go-Giver series, and specifically the latest book they published, I'll let you hear about it and tease it up with that for next week. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.